Good morning, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord and fellow ministers. It is a wonderful day here in Auckland. It's nice, sun is shining, the breeze is blowing. Oh, it's so wonderful. I trust you're having good weather as well. We're going to continue with our series on Nehemiah. And I trust that chapter 1 has been a blessing unto you. Uh, I feel it also necessary not only to teach on the given chapters, but also to make spiritual application to each chapter that we preach and teach on. So without further ado, we're going to start this uh, uh, video entitled Spiritual Applications to Chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the power of attorney that's invested in the name of Jesus. That name means so much to us, O oh God, for that name spells out Savior, Rescuer, and we so thank you, God, that He is our Savior. We pray this morning as we preach of Jesus, as we preach of the Word, that surely, God, His name will be praised, and that, God, your people shall be edified and comforted. And, Father, not only will they be comforted and edified, but, God, they take the challenge thrown out to them, and, God, become witnesses for Jesus Christ. And I pray in Jesus' name, anoint Ian, anoint me, and even anoint the listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual application to chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Spiritual application number one. The born-again spiritual child of God has to emulate Nehemiah and Jesus Christ. We had noted the meaning of the name of Nehemiah, which speaks of consolation and comfort. We saw him as a type of Jesus who was and is still touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Many of us feel that for us to carry the infirmities of other people is way, be, way beyond us. And yet the Word of God categorically declares through the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus our Savior, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this is more than possible. We can carry the burdens of other people and care for other people when we are touched with the feelings of their infirmity. We have to come to the conclusion that we surely can do all things through God who has strengthened us in His love, grace and power. It is through our personal experiences with the receiving of the love, grace and power that we in turn may shower others with the love, grace and power of Almighty God. How true are the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7 to and note carefully. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as, of, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also bounded by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in enduring of the same sufferings we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. 
and our hope of and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also of the consolation. Isn't it the wonderful scripture? Spiritual application number two. Our human fortitude lacks the ability to perform the spiritual. However, there is a definite means made available to his beloved children of doing exactly what Jesus had done in taking the infirmities of his creation upon himself. And by the way, it is no secret. It is openly declared in the word of God. Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God, which is given to us. Listen carefully. Spending time alone with the Lord is the most rewarding experience for a true servant of God. When we develop an ongoing devotional life in prayer and the reading and studying of God's Word, the miracle of supernatural impartation takes place. Time alone with God is a two-way experience. It is a horizontal and a vertical experience. It is first and foremost an entering of self by yourself, which we do as we seek the face of the Lord through confession and worship. And then an infilling of the Spirit of God, imparting to us the love of God, which is nothing less than the very nature of God. We can do all things through God who gives us His love. As we are filled with the love of God, we begin to care for people the way God cares for people. Just as God demonstrated His amazing and all-embracing love to lost humanity, we too express our love which has been strengthened by the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we can, no doubt, by the grace and love and the empowerment of God, begin to carry other people's infirmities. Spiritual application number three. God's born-again spiritual children must be attentive to that which the Spirit of God is saying to the church. We are well aware, well aware that all born-again believers are a royal priesthood. And like Aaron and his sons, we too are earmarked to hear from God. Listen carefully to the scripture. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons and upon the thumb of the right hand and upon the great toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. That's found in Exodus chapter 29. Notice the chronological sequence. It is vitally important. Note the threefold sequence of the anointing of the blood, which clearly signifies sanctification unto God. The ears were only, in, were only to be inclined to the voice of God and not the voice of man. With their hands, they had only to work for God. Their feet had to be swift to carry out the instructions of God. Our ears are not for the standards of this world. To hear from God, our ears have to be set aside for the commands of God. We refrain from those rude jokes. We refrain from listening to gossip. The music that we listen to should be of a godly nature. Now, understand this. If we are a royal priesthood, then surely that which Aaron and his sons experienced 
or with the blood being anointed on the ear and on the thumb and on the big toes. We receive a same anointing because we too are washed in the blood. We often refer of ourselves as the servants of God. And it's sadly not knowing the full extent of being a servant. Old Testament servants wore earrings, which signified servanthood and allegiance to a specific master. Only the master of the earmarked servant could instruct his servant. The servant would not hearken to the commands and instructions of any other person. The same has to apply to God's modern day servants. We need a word from God in order to do the work of God. Earmarked servants started their day hearing the instruction from the master and throughout the day they carried out their master's commands diligently. They did not delay. They instantly were swift to carry out the instructions no matter how far and near as the Lord had sent them. Just as Nehemiah inclined his ear, just as Nehemiah put his hand to the plow, just as Nehemiah was swift to do the work of the Lord in the same manner, we must hear, put our hand to the plow and be swift to do the work of the Lord, no matter how near or far the Lord sends us. A true servant of God has not got a mind of his own. Let me reiterate that. A true servant of God has not got a mind of his own. He has to put on the mind of Christ. He or she sets themselves aside for the work of God and hastens to do the bidding of the Lord. A mature servant of God, and this, and this in no way speaks of age. A mature servant of God is always in the word of God and always heeds the example of Paul, the act of season foundational apostle. Paul in his epistles often sets a chronological order of his servanthood to that of his apostolic ministry. Wisely, you and I believe, led of the Lord, he often mentions servanthood before he mentions his apostolic ministry. Note this in Romans and Philippians and Titus. Servanthood always precedes ministry. The genuine servant, in other words, you cannot be a minister unless you are first and foremost a servant. Uh, application number two, spiritual application, or rather number four. The genuine servant of the Lord is clothed with humility. Years ago, I attended a Pentecostal service where a man of God received a prophetic word and sadly, the prophet spoke of humility and endeavored to explain what humility was all about. All he done, this prophet, was to ramble, that, ramble on and that without defining humility. I interjected and spoke with my boom, booming voice and all I said of humility was that it was a, it is simply having a true picture of yourself and the call of God upon yourself. Amen. Humility is just having a true estimate of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself of what God thinks of you. Humility is not piousness. When we speak and walk a certain way, bent over with a sad look on our faces. 
Humility is not just having a true estimate of who you are in Christ, but also acting out your God-given personality. If you are a soft-spoken person, then speak softly and clearly. If you are a loud person, then be loud. If you love cracking jokes and making people laugh and laugh with them and not at them, then be yourself. Humility is never pretending. I, I know that many people do not see me as a humble person for the simple facts. I am loud, I love teasing people, and at times I make a fool of myself. Though this be true of me, yet I know who I am in Christ, and there is no way I will pretend. I do see myself as a person striving for humility. How do I know this? I have always been teachable. Tell me I am wrong, and I will most definitely apologize. Humility is knowing who you are personally, and who and what you are in Christ Jesus. Spiritual application number five. It is my sincere belief that to have an effective ministry of servanthood, servanthood must always precede the ministry. This, no doubt, is a starting statement and therefore requires clarity. Let me explain my statement. Many women and men of God preach to please the audience for the simple reason they do not want to offend their congregations. Servanthood, as much as it is a loving service unto man, can only be genuine, a genuine blessing to man when the messages from God to his people are delivered by the servant of God to God's people, regardless of whether the message is a blessing or a rebuke. A true servant of God hears from God and he re-echoes what has been heard from God. That's vital. Many of God's wonderful ministers of the glorious gospel sadly overemphasize their ministries and sadly they burn out and to, the and to their dismay, the ministry becomes insipid. And once insipidness creeps into the ministry, the minister loses his drive and energy for the ministry. Many because of this make shipwreck of their ministries. How are we to overcome this horror of making shipwreck of our ministries? Nehemiah sets a wonderful and rewarding example. He was a man that had an ongoing relationship with God. He was a man of prayer. Too often we ministers are preoccupied with the ministry. I for once suffered with burnout with the burnout syndrome. I taught full-time at Bible colleges, pastored churches at the same time, performed weddings, bedded God's people, and on and on. I was busy. I was busy. I was busy. Busy with what? With the work of God. Busy with what? The work of God. Busy with what? Busy with the work of God. And not busy with the God of the work. And not busy with the God of the work. No wonder after time I was no more enjoying the ministry. My knowledge of the word intensified, but oh how sad, my relationship with the Lord suffered tremendously. I was too tired to pray. All I'd done was to study, 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 and preach and preach and teach and teach. I will forever remember these words of a great man of God, who sadly whose name I cannot recall. He said this, the test of a man's soul is not much high, not much, let me reiterate, the test of a man's soul is not how much he does for God, but rather how much time he spends alone with God. The ministry is in the public eye, and oh how we love that. A relation with God is being alone with God, 
and it's only in the eye of God and often that is a sacrifice. Our prayer life is vital to an ongoing relationship with God. Our personal devotions is vital for an ongoing relationship with God. I had to reiterate that's important. Men of, men of God let, must not let their private prayer as reading and studying of God's word ever, ever be neglected. We must concentrate, yes, on the preparation of our sermons and teaching. But we mustn't spend time with God because we are going to preach. You know what I'm saying? We're not, we must not only spend time with God alone because we're going to preach. In other words, we only pray and we only study because we're preaching. We have to divorce our devotional life, our private time alone with God, from seeking the face of God for the ministry. They are most definitely distinct one from the other. One is for personal growth, that is your devotional life, and the other, when you pray, study, and prepare, is for the growth of others and not yourself. So the prayer, the prayer time is different uh, uh, settings, it's different, different times. Let's glean from Nehemiah. He prayed, he prayed. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, there is a record of his prayers. He prayed for God's blessings. That's in uh, Nehemiah 5.19. He prayed for God's strength, chapter 6, verse 9. He prayed for God's vengeance, chapter 6, verse 14. He prayed for God's endurance, chapter 13, verse 14. And he prayed for God's mercy, chapter 13, verse 22. And he prayed for God's faithfulness, chapter 13, 29. And he prayed for God's unchangeableness, 13.30. Spiritual application number six. In order for our ministry to bear precious and everlasting fruit, we like Nehemiah and Jesus have to identify with the people we minister unto. Note carefully, Nehemiah's first prayer, he cried, we have sinned. He did not separate himself from the people of Judah and Jerusalem. He cried, we, we have sinned. Jesus, in a similar way, identified with all those who attended John's baptism. We must become one with sinners. We must care for them and carry their burden of sin and shame. Now, I was preparing my notes and I'd finished my notes when suddenly I felt I'd left out a very, very important spiritual application. And it came to me. When you read chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, there's a phrase there, a wonderful phrase. It says that Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven. Amen? Now, we had spoken earlier just now on prayer, but I need to just elaborate what Nehemiah meant. He prayed to the true God of heaven. Amen? He directed his spirit to Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah. Amen? Now, notice, notice very, very carefully. He says, the God of heaven. And what I want you to do now is what I had done. I made a mental picture. And the scripture came to mind of how I saw God in this mental picture I made. The Bible says that Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father. The Bible says that heaven is his throne 
and earth is his footstool. So I, 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 I'm, I, I'm thinking this. Who knows that Nehemiah made a mental picture of seeing God the way I see God when I pray to the God of heaven. I see him seated upon his throne in heaven. The angels worshipping, bowing down to him. Uh, the four uh, uh, beasts with the face of a lion and an eagle, etc., etc., bow, bowing down to him. And the elders bowing down to him. And what I also see is this, that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Let me reiterate that. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And what does this signify? It signifies because Christ has his feet on the earth. All what's taking place on the earth is under his persuasion, under his control. He is in charge of whatever is happening upon the face of the earth. Whether good or whether bad, whether negative, God is in charge. He's working out his perfect plan for man. And when we pray to God, and that the God of heaven, the true God of all humanity, of all creation. This is how we have to see God, that God sits upon his throne. He's not distant from us, although there's probably billions of miles that heaven is away from earth. But we see him also with having his feet on the earth, meaning everything is under his persuasion, he's in control. So no matter what Nehemiah had heard, Nehemiah knew in his heart that God was in control and that God will do something great to change the situation and that for the better. When you and I pray to the God of heaven, have the same mind as Nehemiah, Nehemiah had. See God in control, the God of heaven. In closing this section, one more spiritual application. And it's very, very important. Now, we're going to close this section on spiritual application from Nehemiah to you and I, and from Jesus to you and I. And, that's ne and, and let us never ever forget that first and foremost that our call as ministers of the gospel is not based solely on the ministry. Rather, first and foremost, it is based on servanthood. Let me give you the classic example found in Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 to 8. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. Notice that and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Amen. I trust that these spiritual applications will make a mark on your life, on your servitude, and on your ministry. God bless you, and have a wonderful day. In a few moments' time, we're going to continue with what is in your hand. God bless you. Thank you.